The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. I, again, I don't know why my... You're seeing half of the stuff that I use, and it doesn't show you my streamer. <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, but uh, you guys are getting a little inside here, and things are running a little weird for me. I don't know why um, they're doing that, but there we go. SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. I set these things, and this is what happens. <laughs> Every morning, something different. Uh, go over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. You want to watch the video portion of the radio show. That's right. You see the faces made for radio. And there you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. One on the left side is Bradley's show from yesterday. So if you miss that, you can catch that up until 3 o'clock this afternoon, at which time he'll be live in that little area right there. On the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button, blow up whatever device you got. Look for the Rumble icon, bottom right-hand corner. Click on that, and you can join us in the chat on Rumble. A lot of friends over there, and we appreciate you guys' support. So uh, uh, while you're over there, please subscribe to the channel, Sons of Liberty Radio Live, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. And then also we're on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page. Uh, right back to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, right up under where we're streaming live. <clears throat> Excuse me. There is a place where you can sign up for our email newsletter. That is uh, That goes out once a day, late afternoon, early evening. All the articles we have at sonsoflibertymedia.com, including the Morning Show Archive. So uh, be sure and catch that. It looks just like all the others. I, I know some people have gone over there and looked for, okay, where's the show archive? Is there a link for that? No, there's not. It looks just like it. So this is the one we did with Michelle yesterday. Uh, it looks just like all the art, other articles. Um, but in that, you've got the video, you've got the podcast, you've got... Uh, the articles from previous day, anything that we reference. And by the way, I've got a link there of things I didn't show yesterday. Uh, images that Michelle had captured, texts, all kinds of things. There's a link there. I put it in a, a Google Drive. I, I don't know how to use those things very good, but there's a link there if you want to you know, further up, uh, follow up with what's going on with Michelle. And then I told her... You know, hey, come back when um, you know you guys are, have moved ahead a little bit. We want to give people an update as to the progress of what's going on. So, uh, she sent me <clears throat> a note saying that they're demanding the judge is demanding that she come and show up for court in Massachusetts, which is just silly because why? 
She has a lawyer. When you have a lawyer, you've elected a representative to speak for you. You can't speak in court. So what's the purpose of her being in court? I said, I'd just not go. That's just me. You got a lawyer. Let him go. Let him speak on your behalf. And uh, I said, I don't think the state of Florida is going to extradite you for for a trespass charge. That's just me. Maybe they will. I don't know. She's in uh, Sheriff Grady's County. So we'll, we'll see what happens to that. Anyway, today I thought... The subject matter, look, obviously, I'm a guy, I've been in this a long time. I know that titles are influential in how people, um, you know, click on things and stuff like that. So I recognize that. And I sometimes I try to use provocative titles that people click on, but I try to be honest about them. I don't do it as a clickbait to say, come here for this and I'm going to give you something else. So that's not how I do it. Now, sometimes we have things up for guests and there have been times where guests didn't show up, and that wasn't my fault. We, we had it scheduled and everything. But this show here, I think, will be very, very helpful to a lot of, of people who are listening. Because maybe many of you are like I was um, probably for a year before I was converted. Um, and by the way, just let me, let me let you in on something. The stuff we talked about the other day about the electing grace of God, that is very real for me. That is not something that, you know, I'm just kind of coming up with and uh, and I thought, oh, this is a good doctrine, or I read it from somebody. I read it in the scripture, and nobody was teaching it in the church I was in. My, my dad certainly didn't hold to it. The, the friends I had didn't hold to it. Um, I, I didn't know that anybody. I was just reading. I thought, am I a heretic? I mean, it looks like it's this is what it's saying. And then oh, it lined up with what my experience was. And as I read the scripture, I was also listening to different kinds of teachers. A lot of them were among the Bible prophecy guys, if you will, okay? Um, <clears throat> telling you everything you see on is this is this is what's going on in Bible prophecy. And, and I mean, it was fascinating to me. I was like, okay, well, wow, God has said all this about these things, and and they're happening, and I mean, it made it really real for me. I mean, it wasn't just that. God was working in my life. I would ask him questions. I would, I would like, I don't understand this. Can you can you show me? Can you help me? And I would go to the scripture and it was really I tell you, it was it was interesting. It was like any of you guys ever went to your dad to have your dad tell you how something works or how he's doing something and he says, "Sure, I'll show you." And he he the Lord did that for me. I I would open up the scriptures no matter where I was, whatever the question was, he was answering my question in the scriptures. In their context. Now, I can tell you for a year before I became a Christian, I read the scriptures a lot. And I couldn't tell you jack about what I read, what I just read. I, I couldn't tell you. And I don't know why I read. I do now. The Lord was even using me to plant the seeds of his word in me. And my mom and dad had done it since I was little and all this other. But here's the thing. The real problem comes in is when everybody starts talking about they quote a verse. Remember we did this with the lady the other day, Pentatel on the Antichrist. And she just quotes all these verses. She doesn't walk you through them. She just says it as though it's a matter of fact. Okay? Yeah, Tom, we've already been through that, and I can walk through the context. So quit bringing that stuff up. We'll, we'll deal with it even this morning. If you, in fact, if you want to call in, you can do that. You can do that, 803-619-9855. Anybody on the radio, you can call in as well. We'd love to have your comment, love to have your question. 
I have no problem walking through the context of Genesis 6, John chapter 3, John chapter 6, John, any of the context we have, and let's look at what the context actually says instead of picking out part of a verse and then extrapolating that out into something else. And that's what happens quite often. I see that a lot with people, and we're going to take some time to do a couple of examples of this too. But I asked my friend Charlie Sims, he's, he's a Georgia redneck, okay, next to a South Carolina redneck, and um, uh, he's, he, decided, he said he would get up uh, and be on early with me this morning. And we're going to talk about keys to biblical interpretation because I think this is, this is um, incredibly important that people be able to go to the Scriptures themselves. You know, Luther's talked about the Bible in the hands of a plowboy. And, but that plowboy needs to understand, you know, reading comprehension and context and stuff like that. Simple things, but a lot of times people treat the Bible as though it's different um, in understanding about how you read it in context than any other thing. We would never read a letter or another book and pull things out of context and stuff. Uh, we would never do that. So it's really interesting. So it's my privilege to welcome to the Sons of Liberty, Charlie Sims. Good morning, brother. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah, and I my buttons are a little slow here. I don't know what's going on. I'm, people tell me um, you can send me a chat or something. Do you hear? Do you guys hear that fan come on? If you don't hear that fan, I'm not going to worry about it too much. Uh, but because it helps things run a little smoother here uh, for me, it helps the transition of the video and everything else. But. I can hear it, and so I'm assuming the people can hear it. I don't want it to be a distraction. So if you guys hear it uh, in the chat or something like that, let me know. If you guys are on the radio, if you hear it, give me a call and say, yeah, I can hear that. That's a little distracting. I'll turn it off, okay? And we'll, we'll just deal with a little jump on the things here. But, uh, Charlie, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into this, uh, because you and I started actually talking maybe about a month or so ago. I think um, you know we were talking about the All-American USA or all the – the all USA made products.com and some yeah. of those things you and I talked on, but you had sent me some emails before, uh, some of your, um, things on second Peter, by the way, which I really appreciated because I was thinking the same thing when I was doing the kingdom series. So please tell people a little bit about yourself and, uh, and what you've, what you've done in your life, how the Lord used you and what you're doing now. Well, I, I'm retired now. <laughs> I'll be a, I'll be an old man, but I'm retired now. <clears throat> So I'm, I'm I'm kind of enjoying that, uh, but no, the uh, the Lord got a hold of me way back in the dark ages of 1972, and uh, uh, prior to that, I was in church and I I was sent to church and I was taught a lot of things. Uh, let's just put it with a lot of baggage, and once I got saved in 1972, uh, the Lord started me on a journey from that time forward. To this day, that to uh, when I deal with scriptures, to examine them very, very closely, and uh, the Lord taught me Himself uh, about the concept of the uh, biblical hermeneutics. Later, I learned about biblical hermeneutics uh, because in my thirties I went to a Bible college, and then shortly after that I went to a uh, went to a seminary. Uh, seminary, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I learned things along the way. And a lot of things that I was taught, <clears throat> I found in Scripture that they were not correct. I found that they were misleading. I found sometimes that it was just outright fraud. 
of what people were saying and teaching. And so uh, that started me on that journey. So now, whenever I uh, teach or preach a class or that kind of thing, at some point, very shortly into it, I go into how do we interpret the scriptures? And that is absolutely critical that we know how to interpret the Bible and how to discern what the Lord is telling us in the scriptures. Not reaching over here and getting a piece over here and a piece over here and a piece over here and throwing it all together and trying to make something out of it, like I see so often. But that we study it systematically and we study it carefully in context. If we don't do the context, <coughs> excuse me, if we don't do the context, we're going to miss the whole thing. That's why I say that there's a there's a context, which is the scriptures that we're looking at. And then we look at the uh, context of it. We look at the text, then we look at the context of it, and then we look at the greater context. Now, that may confuse some people. But what it is is that we're looking at the, the text. We're looking at everything surrounding that, the uh, uh, scriptures surrounding it, chapters before it, chapters after it, to see what's being said. And then the greater context is how does it coincide with the rest of Scripture? And once we do that, we can get a much better understanding of what's being taught to us. Yeah, amen. Amen. That, that's exactly right. Now, we I told Charlie, I said, we, we're, we're not going to try to use a whole bunch of big words. So he threw one in there, hermeneutics. If, if people don't know what that is, it's just the, the principles of interpretation. That's what it is. That's, all, and you, that's right. And you apply that to, to anything. And, you know, Charlie, again, I go back to, you know, my mom, she was cleaning out a barn behind their house, their, their house. I don't know when it was built. It was built a long time ago. And they had this old barn out uh, back and they were cleaning it out. And she found all this all this stuff, I guess it was from the previous owners. One of those things was a letter that was written during the War of Northern Aggression era. And um, and it's really funny because the letter's just, you know, writing about everyday things. And then all of a sudden it says, uh, it, it talks about an army and they name a particular general or whatever, march through Bjork or whatever. It was just kind of a, it was like, you know, just a matter of fact, these guys walk through, and then it's right back to all the stuff that they're doing, canon and doing all this stuff. It's really kind of weird to read in a letter like that uh, in the time frame. But what you would do is you would, if you're reading that letter, you have to take yourself back to a time frame. Yes. You're understanding who's writing it, who right. they're writing. I mean, I don't know who they were writing to, but I know there were people who lived here in that house. And they're writing about a particular time period. So there are some things that we need to know right off the bat. Uh, when we read the scriptures, and there are, these are things that we, that, that are, need to be the first things that we deal with, and that is, and you've laid them out here, these are five things that you've laid out, and I think they're exactly right, who, to whom it's addressed, what, what are they saying, and, and to whom is it being said, when, when is it spoken, when is it written, what are the things that it's talking about, is there a time text that, that we get that tells us something about what the person's writing, where, uh, where it was spoken or written, um, and describing the events that are around that, and then how. How did this come about? What is taking place? Let's walk through some of those. And what I want to do is I want to help people because one of the things we do on the show, and you see it too, is we'll take an entire text, 
And we may be focused on a verse, but we're going to take a whole text to read it so that people see yeah. that that bigger context that's there around that verse. So help us with a couple of these points here and why these are so important in understanding what God has said to us. Well, when we when we look at these points, uh, these are just, you can ask these questions. Who, what, when, where, and how? And when you do that, you can search through the scriptures themselves and see exactly what's being said and to whom it's being said. And uh, when was it spoken? Where was it spoken? And and what was taking place at that time? It, when you do that, you can avoid some conflict. And and uh, I this was this started me on a journey that again it goes to this day. And because of this, I found that many of the doctrines, many of the teachings that I had grown up with and that I was taught for many years. Once I got into the scriptures and used these principles, I had to go over to the round file and dump them. They did not fit in scripture. They did not fit. So I had to take them over, dump them, so to speak, into the round file. And to this day, as I examine scriptures, I keep looking to see, Lord, have I picked up something somewhere that I shouldn't have? Am I understanding something that I'm missing here? So when we ask who, who, who is it addressed to? What? What is being said and to whom is being said? When? You went through these. But when we understand that, that's why we got to dig into the scriptures. My wife and I were talking just yesterday, and the scriptures speaks about gold and silver, speaks about things like that. You don't find gold on top of the ground. You got to dig for it. In that's right. That's a good, that's a good example. In, in, in scripture, oftentimes, you have to dig into the scriptures themselves to uh, dig out that gold and silver, those tidbits, and, and the Lord will thank God for the Holy Ghost. Our, our greatest teacher is the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's right. That will lead us and guide us into all truth if we will listen to it, if we will, if we will adhere to it. Amen. But many people will take scriptures, they'll, they'll pick up a piece here and there, a piece there and over there, and, and, and they make a hodgepodge out of it, and it's a mess. It was like that lady you had on just a few days ago. That, that's messed up. I mean, really messed up, because that's the same type of thing. I was taught that futurist dispensational rapture doctrine, and it took me a while to get away from that thing, because I had yeah. to go and see what it actually said concerning those things, and it had to go. I said, this does not fit. Well, I found myself then ostracized <laughs> because, because I, didn't, I didn't fit in with the crowd that, did, that, that hang on that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, they, well it, here's, here's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with people who, they see the same things happening in the world that you and I do. They, they see the, the push for a cashless society. They see a push for one world government. They see a push for all this kind of stuff. And they go, how can you guys not see this? Don't you understand what, you know, what the Bible, they call it what the Bible says is what the dispensationalists have interpreted it to say, which is not what it says. And most people know that I was holding to a lot of that. I was taught that. Um, and uh, it wasn't until I had to go and teach a book of the Bible 
uh, verse by verse in context and stay in that context that I said, I don't know where these people are getting this stuff. They're playing, I call it Bible ping pong. They're just stringing verse yeah. to verse that, together. That, that's a good word for it, yeah. Yeah, and, and putting it together. And we don't want to be that way. And if I'm that way, then I want to repent. I, I mean, if I've done that, I want to repent of that. I, I don't want to sit here and hold to something that's not true. So let's take <clears throat> let's take a couple of examples here. Right. You know, we had our friend Tom pop in, and I don't know why it is. Some of these guys, they're obsessed with two or three things, mainly. Um, an angel, de- an angel, demon, man hybrid out of Genesis six. We're gonna we're gonna take a quick look at that one. We've already done it before. That um, Harvard and something else. They, they 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 harp on these things. They'll interject them. We're not even talking about them. They're interjecting them in the conversation. I don't mind people interjecting things in the conversation, but you can see there's nothing that's very practical out of what's said there. I mean, Scripture ought to be practical to us. Sometimes it's doctrine. It gets in our head. That's practical. Then we practice it of what we think. So let's take Genesis 6 just for an example. Uh, This will be the first one we start off with, and we'll catch a couple of others that I think people, you and I talked about, that people probably read or they've heard, and they'll hear verses, but Mm -hmm. the context is missing for what's going on there. So this is Genesis chapter 6, and... um, I think you've heard me talk on this a little bit about the oh, sons yeah. of God oh, yeah. and stuff. And, and look, I recognize Job mentions sons of God. I'd have no problem with that. It references uh, the the angels that come before the Lord. Among them are, are Satan himself. Uh, so yeah. I, I don't deny that that's there. Okay, But when we come to Genesis 6, the greater context, as you said, is Genesis 1 past Genesis 6. That's the greater context of what creation was, the genealogies. That's what Genesis is, the genealogies. So that's the greater context. We've just come off of reading the line of Seth. We've come off of reading the line of Cain. We've read that. And by the way, for some of you people out there who come in, let me just back this up just a second. Some of you people who come in and you comment and you say the most, I'm going to say foolish things. You jump in about Adam and Eve and what the sin was and that Eve was having sex with a serpent and Cain was the, the, the offspring. Do you not read Genesis chapter 4? And Adam knew his knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. Who knew Eve and, and how did she get pregnant? She knew her husband and they bore yeah. Cain. Okay? Yeah, exactly. This, I see people putting this stuff out all the time, Charlie, and it's just, it, that's as plain as day right there, okay? But this is Genesis chapter 6. Here's what it says. And remember, we just, this would, no verses, no uh, chapter breakage or anything like that. We've just come out of the genealogy of Seth, of, of, uh, of Cain, and now we read, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Were the sons of God ever mentioned in all of Genesis? They're not. They're not no. mentioned there. And they were fair, and they took them as wives, all of which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not always strive with man. I, if you don't get anything out of this context, look at what's spoken. He doesn't t- say demons, angels, um, he doesn't say hybrids, off, you know, abominations. or anything. He's talking about men. He constantly references men, every verse here. I won't strive with man, for he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. And there were giants in the earth in those days. doesn't tell us how the giants came about. It just says there were giants. And also after that, 
So they were there before the sons of God came here. After that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bare the children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. So they're having men. And again, we go back to the larger context. Everything produces after its own kind, whether plants or beasts or whatever they are. Okay? And then he says, And God saw the wickedness of man, not the sons of God as far as angels and stuff. It says, Of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I had made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So here's what I want you to, here's what I want to do. I want to toss that out to you. What is this text saying, Charlie? What is it actually teaching us? Well, it's teaching us. I was, I, I, let me back up here one second. I was taught that stuff about the, uh, um, the hybrids and, and the whole thing. Okay. I was taught that stuff. And when I was taught, I said, well, you know, that, that makes sense. But again, as I began to study the scriptures, I began to see, I said, wait a minute, this is not talking anything about that. Nothing. It's talking about mankind. It's talking about men. It's talking about those who dwell on the earth. And um, again, it, again, it doesn't say anything about the uh, the giants where they came from and when you look at archaeology you find some they have found some pretty big yeah skeletons. absolutely yes, yeah that they found we don't know where they came from but i was taught that that was the fact you know that eve had sex with a serpent and all that other stuff but it just does not fit because again when i go back through and and study for myself and trust the holy spirit to lead and guide me, I look at the context. I look at what is being said, to whom it's being said, and <clears throat> what the surrounding things are. There's no other way you can come away with that weird stuff out of Genesis chapter 6 if you examine it carefully apart from somebody's writing or somebody's teaching on that that tries to make it something that it's not. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and I, I tend to agree with you because I was taught the same things. You know, people know that I uh, credit John MacArthur for, for learning the issue of context, and yet John MacArthur teaches this stuff. Um, and it sounds right when he teaches it because, you know, he'll jump over to Jude and that's going on, and then he'll pull from Second Peter uh, chapter 2 uh, and, and those kind of things, and it, it seems like it makes sense. But then when you, when you have to go and you have to dig it out yourself, you're going, mm -hmm. okay, that's not what's right here. And so that's that's really the issue. And as far as the book of Enoch, uh, Tom mentioned the book of Enoch, I don't mind if people want to read the book of Enoch. Knock yourself out. It's called a pseudopigrapha book for mm -hmm. a reason. Pseudo, that means fake. Yeah. And so it can't, they, did, they, they allegedly discovered it long after the, the writings of the Old Testament. And so one of the issues is, is that... Um, you have people saying, well, Jude quotes Enoch. Well, he does, but is he quoting the book of Enoch? That's the question, because the book of Enoch has things that are contradictory to the scriptures. And I'm going to tell you, there were things I read in, in the book of Enoch that gave me chills. I mean, they really did, because of seeing the way the whoever the writer is that wrote it, of seeing how he showed the dependence that Adam and Eve had even more upon God outside of the garden. I mean, that was a, that was a, that
That was a frightening thing because I've often wondered about that. But that doesn't make it scripture. So well, I've read the Book of Enoch too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I got a copy of it. Yeah, I mean, I I think it'd be good if if people, you know, maybe we do a show on the Book of Enoch and show why is it not, why should it not be considered scripture? Um, other guys have been through this before, and I I think it's clear from the things that some of the things it communicates that it's in contrast to the scriptures. That's exactly right. But yeah, the, the, the Genesis chapter six is very, very, very plain. But again, when they try to add those things to it and make it come out to where there was these monsters that appeared, these uh, uh, humanoid like creatures, that type of thing. And um, uh, I, I was, I remember being taught early on too, that that's possibly where the uh, thing of, uh, the Greek and Roman gods came from. Uh, I can see that. I can see how that is. Yeah. You know, they 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 they, they come across that, and and I remember hearing a quote Bible teacher talk about that, and and how they, you know that's how they came into being was because of all of that. Well, we don't have anything in Scripture that validates any of that. No, we don't. In fact, if we go right back here, notice what the what the fruit of the sons of God and daughters of men were. And they bear children to them. Now, that's in italics, so the word children is not there. But then he says, the same became mighty men. Not humanoids, not giants, not gods. They were mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. So they did have, they did have a, um, uh, what do we want to say? Uh, their, their character precedes them. I'm trying to think of the term that's used there. Their character precedes them. People knew them. They, yes, they knew they these men. They were, they were mighty men. That's what it says. But they were men. They were not hybrids. Um, they were men. And, and that's, this is the thing. It's so clear because, again, man, men, it's mentioned in every verse here. Every verse. Every so verse that's, that's why we talk about context. Why is it important? Pay attention to those little words. Does anybody remember when you were in elementary school and you had to do, what was those things? Diagramming sentences. Oh. <laughs> you, and you go, why in the world am I doing that? And still, some of you probably are going, why, why would you do that? Well, you do it for reasons like this. So you can understand what you're reading. And, uh, and most of us, when we're little and we're learning these things, we're just going, we're tearing our hair out going, I hate this. I don't like this. But boy, it's very important, isn't it? it, it it's extremely important. <laughs> but it's because of learning how to interpret Scripture is why most all the original doctrines I was taught wound up in the trash can. I, I, I said, I can't find it in here. Um, I guess probably two years ago, I did a teaching on, uh, I guess it was, it was about the last few that I did on Facebook, uh, was I said, the rapture is so secret, I can't find it in the Bible, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I No, I, I get, I, I understand all of that kind of stuff as to what it goes. Okay, I want to take, I, I've got a couple more that I want to do here, and we've got some time, and if, if we need to stay over, we can stay over. I think Charlie's ready to, ready and raring to go. He's up, so might as well make the most of the time, right? <laughs> That's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm in no hurry, Tim. Okay. No hurry. All right. John chapter 3. This is another one. I mean, who doesn't? Who out there doesn't know, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, there may be some people out there who've not heard that. I, I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware that there are people in the United States who've never, ever heard the real gospel. I mean, I, that just blows my mind, but I'm aware of it, Okay. 
There may be some people who have not heard that. Most people have heard that verse. They'll quote it as though it's their saving grace, kind of like uh, Roman Catholics will cling to the Lord's Prayer. Okay? Yes. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll call that out as though that's the, that's the thing. But what about the context here, uh, Charlie? There's a, there's a context here. There's also something I think that's, I don't want to say hiding, but I don't think the English brings out that the Greek says out of this verse. Do you, would you mind walking us through this? Maybe pick up at the first. Uh, if you want me to read it, I'll do that. Um, we, can, uh, we can read that because Genesis 3, b- before there's Genesis 3.16, there's Genesis 3, 1 through 15, right? So that's a context yes, yes. that's set up. Yes, 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 it is. And, and so let me read that, and then I'll, I want you just to get a comment um, on, on what's going on here. So we, this is where we read about the new birth. There was mm-hmm. a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, or I think it's properly said, Rabbi, uh, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? And be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It seems like Jesus is pretty clear in what he's saying. He's not talking about going back in the womb and being born again. He's talking about a supernatural spiritual occurrence that happens in the life of a person. Exactly. He says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but thou can't, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So it is ev- so is everyone born of the Spirit. So he's, he's basically saying, the Spirit is the one that gives the new birth, not the person. They don't determine that uh, any more than the baby determines their own birth or their own conception right. or any of the other. other. He, he's saying, this happens, and you can see the evidence of it by, like, when you look outside, you can't see the wind blowing, but you can see the trees moving back and forth, and you can hear it. Uh, the same is true with a person born of the Spirit. You can see the evidence of it. Why? Because the Bible says they bear fruit, right? So, so Nicodemus answered and said to them, how can these things be? And Jesus, he gives him a gentle rebuke here. He answered and said unto him, art thou a master of Israel or a teacher of Israel, and knowest not these things? Don't... This is all in the Old Testament. It's not a New Testament concept. This is Old Testament stuff. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that what we know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe me not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So he's talking about his death. That yeah. whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Begotten that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then it continues. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That wasn't Jesus' mission. But that the world through him might be saved. Now, some people say, well, the world means every single person ever lived. Well, that's not what it means. No. Uh, it encompasses every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I think John uses the same thing in Revelation. We talked about that before. That's what the world is in this context. 
Mm-hmm. And he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So we've got a good context going on here. We see what's being said and what's being led up to. What's going on here when we read John 3.16, is this just a blanket thing, Charlie, uh, for every individual out there, you know, kind of thing? I mean, there, there's clearly the gospel message goes out to people. And as we talked about the other day, sometimes that gospel message hardens people, and sometimes it gives grace to the hearers. What's going on here, and what specifically, what's going on in John, John chapter 3, verse 16? Well, if I, if I can add one scripture in there, I would Please. say this, that, that no man cometh to the Father except the Father draw him. That's right. And so uh, there has to be a, a quickening of the Spirit, uh, by the Spirit in, 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 into the hearts of men that they're drawn by the Holy Ghost, that they're drawn in. Because I, I remember when I got saved, I had such a convi- strong conviction that I was a miserable, lousy sinner condemned to hell that I realized that. So I, once I confessed everything and got straightened out and got born again, then I understood what John 3.16 meant. I understood it then because I had to turn to the Lord because the Lord is the one that draws. I've heard people say, well, I can go down to church and get saved anytime. No, you can't. You can't do that. That's right. You can't. It, it has to be it has to be the drawing of the That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we teach the gospel. That's why we teach the new covenant is that it, we, we, we throw the seed out and we throw it out wide that it might bring into focus those whom the Lord calls. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and we don't know it. I, and people mock us over that. They mock and say, well, why don't you just preach to those elect people? Well, we don't know who they are. God elect them. That's God's... The secret things are the Lord's, right? That's what the Scripture tells that's exactly, us. That's we, exactly right. And I think Spurgeon said, if I knew who the elect were, if they had a yellow stripe up their back, I'd be lifting up shirt tails and only preaching to those guys. But he didn't do that, and, and we, don't do the, we don't do that either. So there's something... I, I, I've heard, I've heard, even heard preachers say, well, you know, uh, the Lord was crucified... And, and he died to everybody, so therefore we're already saved. All we got to do is accept it. Yeah, that's just absolute nonsense, because the obvious question then would be, okay, what about the people who were already in Hades, uh, or Sheol, as the Old Testament set calls it? Sometimes it calls it hell. It translates as hell, but it's really the grave. It's the place of the dead. And what about those who were unrighteous who were there, like the rich man that Jesus references? Um, did Jesus die for him? Did he get out? No, he didn't do that. So it, it's it's abundantly clear. I think the facts and evidence show us that that's not that's not the truth. Jesus said over and over and over again, "I lay down my life for my friends. I lay down mm-hmm. my life for the sheep. I lay down yeah. my life for you know the elect." Uh, this is the kind of thing that's that's going on. He doesn't say, "I lay down my life for the goats." No. That's not what he says. He, he's laying it down for his people. And in fact, we had him taking the cup the other day. We were citing out the night before his betrayal. Uh, that he he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many, not for everybody, but for many. It's for a lot of yes. people that are his people. So I think that's very important. Now, I'm sure in your studies, one of the things that you've discovered about John 3.16 here is this idea, everybody goes to this word, whosoever. But the yeah. word whosoever is not in the original tongue. 
it's actually communicating something different. And I'm wondering if you discovered what I discovered out of this verse. Well, tell me what you discovered. We'll compare notes. Okay, we'll compare notes. Well, it's basically he's, he's saying God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that the believing ones. Exactly. It's, it's, it's not, he's not throwing it out as though this is an invitation. Remember, he's talking to Nicodemus. He's been talking about the new birth, right? That's what the That's context right. is. He's That's talking right. about the new birth, and he's talking to him about the effects of the new birth what they do to the person. And so he's saying God loved the world. He loved all the ethnicities he made, the tribes, the tongues, the peoples, the nations. He loves that. He doesn't hate it. He loves it. He created it. Okay? But then out of that, what is it saying? He gave to those who were the believing ones his son. That's right. And you say, well, I'm a believer. Well, then you're not going to perish. You're going to have everlasting life. If you're a believer, if you're a believer, if you're an unbeliever, you don't have anything to do with this at all. In fact, you are called to do your duty before God, which is to repent, to have faith, to bring it forth. And I'll tell you, the things that God demands of us, he freely gives. Those things were purchased in the death of Christ. They, they, they absolutely were. Well, I know there's a, uh, there, there's a tremendous truth in that. And you, you, you covered it recently in, um, uh, uh, in the fact of, of, of those who are who are called and uh, those who are chosen, you covered that recently. But I've known people that again that say, "Well, I can go down to church and get saved anytime I want to." No, you can't. No, you can't. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh had a hard heart to begin with, and the Lord just hardened that thing because He knew that Pharaoh was not going to turn and repent. And I'm, you know, the, the rich man and, and Lazarus, the rich man. Never, it was all around him, but he did not turn and repent, and he wound up in torment. Yeah, and all he was concerned about was the consequences. He said, would you go and tell my brothers so they don't come here? It's not, I want them to live a holy life before God. I just don't want them to come to this place, and I don't want to turn either. I want the guy that I was... Um, uh, what was he doing with Lazarus? He was laying the, letting him sit at the gate, uh, the dogs licking his sores. He wouldn't help him or anything. Else. I want that guy to come over here and give me a little water for my tongue to cool my tongue. It's just, it's absolutely incredible. It, 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 is, it is incredible. And, and people have taken that passage of Scripture, Luke 16, and they've taken that passage of Scripture, and they said, well, it's a parable. It's not a true story. They're not trying to tell us anything. Well, nowhere in Scripture does it say that's a parable. It doesn't say, you know, this is what this, this, that's right. This is something that means something else, like the parable of the sower in, in uh, uh, Matthew thirteen. But it, it wasn't a parable. He was saying this is the consequences of your decisions in life that you must make. And if the Lord calls you, you need to answer that call. And there's a place in Scripture where it says that, that the Lord's not going to always strive with man. So he's going to work with them and, and bring them to a place where they will either repent or they'll reject. And I've met some people over the years that I'm reasonably sure, I can't prove it, but I'm reasonably sure their heart was so hard toward the things of God that they rejected God at every turn and they would not repent. So I don't know if, if it, they, 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 they just... They cursed God every time they opened their mouth. Uh, their actions and attitudes, their behaviors, they were just pure evil. 
we've got men today in politics that are pure evil. And the Lord may reach out to call them, but if they don't answer, the result's going to be the same for them. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why the, the Scripture tells us, you know, today, if you hear His voice, don't harden right. your heart. And I tend, to th- I, I tend to think the people that actually hear the voice of God, or, or they actually experience this, they're going to respond. That's the whole purpose of them hearing the voice of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't just hear the voice of the man saying it. The Spirit of God brings it, just like John chapter 3, the first part there. He brings it, he does it, and all of a sudden you see the fruit of it. And exactly. no preacher can, listen, no preacher can take credit for any of that. No, no, no preacher can. No. Because all the preacher can do is open his mouth and speak the word, and even doing that, he is empowered by the Spirit of God. So he has nothing to boast of about himself. This is why it drives me crazy when sometimes you'll see these preachers that are all about themselves. Yeah, that's exactly right. Me too. It, it, it drives me nuts up. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I, I knew a, I knew a, uh, a preacher. Uh, it was early in my Christian walk, and the Lord was dealing with me about a lot of different things. But I sat down and talked to this preacher, and he, uh, he, he was pastor of a church. And uh, he, said, he said, Charlie, he said, let me tell you this. He said, I was so trained that I could, this, this was him talking now, not me, this was him talking. He said, I was so trained in the ways of creating emotional responses. He said, I could fill up a church. Yep. I, could, I, I could preach these uh, revival sermons and said, I would get literally a hundred people down at the altar. He said, but I couldn't guarantee you one time any of them got saved. That's right. Yeah. And you know, I, I think of I think of reading the background to Jonathan Edwards <clears throat> and that sermon that he preached, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Of course, the modern church would be preaching sin, angry sinners in the hands of God, or, <laughs> or God in the hands of angry singers, sinners, something like that. But, you know, one of the things that, w- that was expressed about uh, him during that sermon and others that he did was he would write out his sermons, he would yeah. read them monotone because he was convinced— <clears throat> If God used that word, he believed the word was powerful. If God used that word, it would be dem- it would demonstrate that it didn't come from the preacher. It wasn't an emotional thing, this, that, and the other. And I remember reading the guy who was kind of, uh, he was, I guess he was like a journalist, writing that night as he listened to the message and as he listened to the wails and the howls of the people who were under such conviction. It wasn't an altar call. And by the way, Finney is the one who pushed the anxious bench. Uh, and mm-hmm. the emotional responses and stuff like that. And look, I believe you'll you'll respond emotionally. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the Spirit of God gets a hold of you. He's oh, going to yeah. humble you. He's going to humble you. He really is. Yes, he is. But, and, uh, but this other is there as well. So I, I wanted to make sure people understood that. But Jonathan Edwards, uh, when you read his account, uh, he, he, he read it by candlelight in a monotone voice. Yes. And when you read the, the, the things surrounding it, you mentioned, I mean, the, the people were really grabbing hold of the, the, the post of the church and hanging on to the pew so they didn't slide into hell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he made it real for them. <laughs> he, made, he made it real. And, and uh, the, I remember an older preacher. I was a young, again, as a young baby Christian, um, uh, he, he was an elderly man. He told me, he said, he said, he said, one thing you have to do. He said, preach hell so hot that they can smell the fumes. <laughs> <laughs> and every, everything else is there, too. Let's take a couple of more examples here. we got about uh, seven minutes in the show. We may, we may run over just a little bit. But these were, these were just a couple of that popped off my head. Uh, Charlie, you and I talked about the other day, 
And I said, these are these are some, and if anybody else has any others that you want us to bring up, I mean, you know, we can take time and do that. I don't mind doing that. Uh, give us a call, 803-619-9855, 803-619-9855. Happy to take your call and uh, your question or comment. Please stick to the topic. Um, we're, we're not talking about other things here. We're talking about biblical interpretation. And if you've got something, you say, well, how, how is this? You know, and look at these things. So let's take two more. One of them is going to be Matthew 18. Now, we did a show on this one, Charlie, uh, and I specifically did it because there were some people having some problems uh, with Bradley, and they want to come to me. And I'm like, look, you need to go to your brother, and this is what the Lord says to do. So I didn't take that as a, as a thing. I said, you need to go to your brother. And look, this isn't, this isn't just about that. Uh, I've, I've had, you know, the church I was at previously, um, you know, we, I had discipline. I'm thankful to God I had discipline. It shows me that brothers love me to correct me. Praise God for that. Um, and, and it's an instrument of God chastising his children. If you're not chastised, you're illegitimate. You're bastard sons. Remember, we read that out of Hebrews. Yes, right. So, so we get to Matthew chapter 18 and Jesus has been, uh, talking with, the uh, with some of his disciples there, and he's already set up a child as the kingdom of heaven. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, what do little children need? They need teaching. They need correction. Sometimes they need corporal punishment. Um, they need all of these kinds of things to help them to to uh, grow in grace. And uh, and and we do that as fathers, as mothers. We do that because we love our kids, not because we hate them. We we do it because we love them. And so, you know, I, Jesus says, you know, let them come, um, don't forbid them, uh, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he keeps going down through and he says, if somebody offends one of these little ones, I'm paraphrasing because I'm trying to get through this in a short amount of time, but we'll get the point here. He says, you know, it's better to throw a millstone around your neck and toss yourself into the sea. And then he starts talking about the offenses, you know, take drastic measures to keep yourself from temptation, whether it's plucking out your eye or cutting off a limb. And I don't think Jesus actually means do that. No, it just no. means take the drastic measures to rid yourself of sin. Okay? That's exactly right. Right. So then he, he comes down and all of that precedes what we're about to read here. Uh, and he talks about, he interjects sort of a parable here, a man going out, he's got a hundred sheep, one gets lost, he has to leave the 99 in the fold, and he goes and gets the other one, and he binds up its wounds, and he puts it back with the fold where it's supposed to be. That's what the shepherd does. The hireling doesn't do that. He runs off and leaves the sheep. But Mm -hmm. the, the good shepherd doesn't do that. So, he comes up to that, and that is the context leading up to what we read here. So, verse 15, Moreover, and this is Matthew 18, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass, or he sin against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Don't go running and telling your friends. Don't go running and and talking to other people about what your brother's done to you. You go to your brother. If you're not doing that, you're not obeying the Lord. Okay? You're being a gossip. That's gossiping. You need to go to your brother. Now, if you're asking for, if you're asking, if you ask a brother for advice, you know, advice on that as to what they sh- what you should do, and that brother says, "Go to your brother." Then, okay, that's fine. That's not being a gossip. You're looking for for direction, and that that's fine. But the fact of the matter is, you go to him when he sinned against you, or he's trespassed against you in some way. If he he if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee 
one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. That's Old Testament. That's New Testament. That's how you validate something is you get witnesses, right? That's why they try to get false witnesses against Jesus. And then, here's what we read. And if he shall neglect to hear them, if he's not going to hear it when you bring a couple more people in, again, the thing is protection here, guys. It's not to jump on Facebook and start telling everybody about somebody's sin. That's not what it is. It is to correct them. When somebody is hurt, when somebody is wounded, when somebody you know, has a gaping wound, you don't sit there and air it out. You clean it out and you cover it up. You protect it. That's what's going on here. You've got a yeah. brother and you want to protect him, so you're doing it you know, in a very closed space among limited people. Then if he won't hear, tell it to the church. Now you tell it openly to the people of God, not to Facebook, not to the world. You tell it to the people of God. And if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. And then here's the, here's the verses where everybody pulls things out of context. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So, Charlie, what's he? these last two or three verses here, What's he talking about? Is he talking about, oh, let's just worship the Lord, and there's two or three of us gathered, and he's here in our midst, and you know, let's play some praise and worship music, and or or is he talking about something else, or what is he actually talking about here when he talks about two or three gathered? Isn't the context clear? The context is very clear. He's he's speaking of discipline. He's speaking of having to deal with uh, an issue within the local congregation, and uh, dealing with that, and and bringing that to light of what needs to be done first you go to your brother and then if he doesn't hear you you take some more if that doesn't work you bring it to the church and then he says whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven you've got to deal with the discipline issue in someone's life the sad state of affairs is is that if a church practices church discipline today with these things they might turn around and sue you because that's pathetic well, yeah. Because they, they say, well, you know, I can do what I want to. I'm part of this church, and you can't come in, and you can't correct me. That's rebellion. That's witchcraft. Absolutely it is. Absolutely so, it is. Charlie, so, hold, that, hold that thought. We got about uh, 20 seconds here, and what I want to do is I want to direct people over. We're going to cover at least one more text. This one, you know, for some people who are last days madness people, and, and uh, you jump into some of these things, uh, this might be of, of interest to you. It's going to be Second Peter chapter 3. So if you want to catch that, sonsoflibertymedia.com. Um, before it's news.com and also rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. We're going to keep Charlie over for just a little bit today. We got him, so we're going to use him today. And I uh, hope you guys are benefiting from it. Bradley, be with you at 3, and Lord willing, we'll be back with you in the morning, 6 a.m., bright and early. Talk to you then. Okay, I want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And Charlie, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Do you have a final thought you want to give on Matthew chapter 18? And then we're going to jump over to Second Peter chapter 3. Well, when it says two or three are gathered together, uh, there I am I in the midst of them, there can be an application for that. But that's not the interpretation. There yeah, that's be, exactly right. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, uh, there's been times where there's been, uh, I've been in small groups where there's been three or four people there. And, and, and as we begin to pray and to worship the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord would come in. No yep. question about that. 
Yep. But in, but in the context of what he's saying there, that's not what it's making reference to. He's making reference to the fact that this is church discipline. This is what you do to someone that will not turn and, and, and make things right when they really need to make something right. And it shows the rebellion in their heart that, that the Lord need, you know, that needs to be dealt with. And if they won't deal with it, then that's going to be the consequence of that. You're going to be ousted. Yeah, and the two or three are clear in the context. He says you bring them as witnesses to the matter. That's that's what he's talking about. I mean, I used to ask people when they would quote that to me. I was just like, okay, that doesn't make sense. And this was as a young Christian. I didn't. I I not really read it and all, but I heard them talking about this. And I go, well, is Jesus not with me when I'm by myself? <clears throat> is Christ not with me when I'm by myself? Why do I need two or three for Him to be there? That I don't need two or three to be for that to be the case, but. You do need it if you're bringing a charge against somebody uh, that deals, because you're dealing with law here. That's right. When when we're talking about sin, John says sin is transgression of the law. So basically what's going on is this is a court case, if you will. I mean, this is how it's supposed to be done. And it's supposed to be handled among the individuals, men, who who govern themselves and then it's to be brought into the church. And notice it's not to be taken out into the to the state. It's to be dealt with in the church. So the that's, church, that's right. these are important things. And a lot of churches are not even engaged in church discipline. I mean, if you talk church discipline to them, I remember when I finally understood this, I brought this up at the church that we were at, which was my father's church. And they had just found out one of the deacons was committing adultery with one of the other deacon's wives. Uh-huh. And we came home, and I said, I said, Dad, are, are you guys not going to deal with that? I mean, I heard about this day. And he goes, well, they've asked to have their name dropped from the roll. I said, that's not what the Bible says to do. No, I'm a young—look, I'm a young whippersnapper. I'm just learning this stuff. I was probably, I don't know, three years old in the faith or something like that. And I had just understood this, and it made so much sense to me. And I said, well, the Bible says that you're supposed to do this with it. Yeah, but he wouldn't listen to us. Okay, but the Bible says you're still supposed to listen, do it. You're supposed to go through the proceeding. If he doesn't listen, though, then that's on him. And so we ended up, we, we stayed for a little bit within that year before we left and we started planning a church. And the reason we ultimately left was that man and the woman he had been committing adultery with, it had been about a year, they'd gotten their divorces, they got married, and they were right in the, we were up in the balcony uh, because we had our little kids, we, we would always take them to service. We didn't want to disturb anybody uh, because they were in training. And I looked down and saw them; they had their hands all over each other. And I just and everybody's up there praising Jesus. And and I'm sitting here going, "You haven't dealt with the sin in the camp. It's right here. And you think God is here? I mean, the Spirit. It's Ichabod. Uh, he's departed because uh-huh. you've got sin right in the middle. Kind of like what we talked about the other week with Achan." And the yeah. destruction he brought on Israel. So it's these exactly things right. these things are very important. They're very practical. The understanding of what we got here. It isn't just a head knowledge. These are these are very practical things. So let's take this one, Charlie, because I think when I was doing the Kingdom series, you sent me an email and uh, you sent me also some things you had put together on Second Peter, which boy, I really want to bring this one out because it's it's really good what you had. But you and I talked about let's do Second Peter chapter three. Because there's a verse that everybody seems to want to quote, and they want to quote it again as though it's this universal thing, all men everywhere, you know, it's all this stuff. This is the verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward, 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay? Now, if you're like me or Charlie, you've probably heard people quote this, and they just mean it as every single individual. But yeah. there's a big context here, isn't there, Charlie? Um, well, there's, a big, there's a big context in that. So that's, yeah, I've heard that too. Yep. And uh, uh, I was taught that. Okay. I, I was taught that that that's the way it is. But that's not what it means. That's not what that is not what relayed here uh, in in Second Peter. It's it's a whole different thing. So if you bring up the context, let's look at the whole context. Yeah, in fact, let's just give an overview of chapter 2, because that's a part of the context, kind of like Genesis uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, or the preceding context for Genesis 6 of what we talked about. Gen uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, there's a whole uh, deal there yeah. that shows us false teachers. So if, yes. if people want to know what a false teacher is... Uh, don't just go to Deuteronomy 13, 17, 18, do that, but then come over to 2 Peter chapter 2, because you're going to see it. He's going to paint you a picture, and you can put faces on some of these guys. You really can. Jim Baker, <laughs> uh, Robert Tilton, you, you can put faces on some of these people. You really can. Yeah. And he says they're marked out for darkness. They're marked out for judgment. Uh, yes. So he, they're not marked out to be saved. They're marked out to be judged. Okay? Mm -hmm. That's what he says there in chapter 2. And then we come to yeah. chapter 3, and th again, this, this whole idea, I keep going back to when I was in elementary school, the sentence uh, you know, structure and all that you do. This is very important when you read this. And yeah. hopefully Charlie and I can, can show some of you guys kind of what we're doing. And by example, next time when you go to a text, you'll be more particular in how you look at these words. So this is Second Peter chapter 3. And we're just going to read this part of the context. Now, again, if you want to back up and you want to read chapter 2, that's fine. That's dealing with the false teachers. So he, he already shows you there are false teachers that are marked out for judgment. They're not marked out for repentance. They're not marked out for salvation. They're marked out for judgment. Then uh -huh. he comes to this, and he says, verse 1, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you. Okay, now who is the you here? It's the church, right? That's who he's writing yeah. to. Go back to chapter yeah, so one. Right. Go back to chapter one, and you go to First Peter chapter one. And you'll see he's writing to the saints, those you know, have been sprinkled with blood, and they're in Christ, and all of this. This is who he's talking to. He says, "I write it to you." Okay. So he's already the you here is the church, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. That's the believers. That ye, that's the believers again, may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles. So he just, even though he's a part of the church, now he says us, and he, say, he clarifies it, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. Okay, scoffers are not us. They're not the apostles. Scoffers are not you, the church. Okay, so we, we understand that's the distinction. These guys are walking after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, and remember Peter's writing before 70 AD when Jesus said he was going to come and do what he's going to do, okay? Saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they, they, who is they? They are the scoffers. Uh -huh. Willingly or ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire unto, against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. 
but beloved. Who's the beloved? That's the church. That's the one. You just mentioned them in verse 1. They were beloved, right? Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And I, I get people that throw that up. They pull it completely out of context and throw it up with, you know, 2,000 years of history and revelation, all that. And, and it just doesn't, it doesn't fit there. That's not, what it, that's not what that's about. And then he quotes this verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. So why did he say this thing about the years and stuff? It's because the Lord's not like a man. He's not bound in, in, although he may tell us things that we understand like three days I'm going to be in the grave, you know, and then the third day I'm going to rise again. He may tell us that he's not bound in that time. God's not bound in that time. So it's, it's saying, while men may look at it like, well, he's not doing anything because he hasn't done anything, uh, Peter's reminding them, he's not like you guys. A day's like a thousand years. That's why he puts that in. And he says he's mm-hmm. not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards who? Who does that say, class? Us word. Who's the us? Does, does, does Paul got a mouse in his pocket? No. He's, the us word is the apostles and the church, the people he's talked about before. Uh-huh. That's the context. God is long-suffering towards his people, not mm-hmm. willing that any, any of who? Well, he doesn't have a problem with the scoffers here. He, he doesn't have a problem with letting the false teachers be judged. He, his long-suffering is towards his people whom Christ redeemed. That's who is long-suffering. And you say, well, I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a believer. Well, then do you hear his voice? Don't harden your heart. Submit to that. And guess what? All of a sudden, this verse right here rings true for you that God's long-suffering towards you. That yeah. you're one of his. And I don't know who are his and who are not, uh, who are still unbelievers. That's Again, this is why we preach the gospel. And then, let me give this last one. But the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now, Charlie... Lay it on us. What's going on here in verse 9 and 10 in the context we read? And then if you need to go on uh, into the other parts, go ahead and do that too. But in verses 9 and 10, what's actually, what's actually being said there? Well, as I understand it, that's making a pretty good reference to the destruction of Jerusalem. And uh, there was a lot of things that happened at that time. And I've seen people take that out of context and try to throw it into something else. Uh, I haven't found it. But again, the Lord is saying, this is what's going to take place. I'm going to look after my people, but those who are in rebellion against me, there's going to be consequences for their behaviors. Very plain. And that that can go out into... Uh, the historical context, and it can also be an application in many different ways. But the Lord is very plain in his writings of these things, that he wants his people to repent and stand before him. Now, within the context of that, he's saying this is going to take place. It is going to happen. There's nothing anyone can do about it, because the Lord is saying, this is going to happen. And it's going to happen in my time frame, not yours. It's going to happen in mine. And when I set it into motion, it's going to transpire. 
And all of these things are going to take place. It's not going to be missed. It'll be seen by a lot. It'll be seen by a lot of people, but it's going to take place. It is going to happen. Those elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. And just recently, I heard uh, one of these uh, dispensational preachers say, you know, well, when Jesus comes back, this is going to happen. Uh, well, that could be an application for that. Because we read in scripture where uh, the Lord is going to destroy things with the brightness of his coming. We understand that at the second coming. This doesn't make reference to the second coming. I, I have not been able to determine that it makes reference to the second coming. Can you give people an insight? Because you saw some things in there that I also saw specifically with the word elements. And yeah. if people do a word study on the, the word elements, uh, tell them what they're going to find, because they're going to find it tied back into the old covenant system. And that's what's really coming. That's really what this coming of Christ is about in 70 AD. I, I call it his real second coming. That's that's me. Uh, because he had already done his first, now he's coming as king. He's coming as king and judge, and he's going to yes. judge them. What did you find out there specifically in terms of what it's talking about here? Because people will say, well, wait a minute, it says the heavens are going to pass away. Well, we've talked about that in the kingdom series, where we talked about how sun, moon, and stars, and we went through Old Testament passage, and it says they fell out yes, of the sky. Yes. Well, they really didn't do that. He's talking about their world had come to an end, what they had established in their governments and their their uh, their culture and all, all of that was coming to an end. It was though as though the heavens had fell down on them. That's the language that's being used to communicate that. What did you learn here specifically about the word elements? I think people will find that very interesting. The elements, <clears throat> um, everything's going to be burned up. Everything. And and I, I'm telling you, when, when, when the Lord took me into uh, Matthew 24 and began to explain, and I began to understand what Matthew 24 meant, uh, what he was trying to convey to us. It opened up a whole lot of things. For me personally, it opened up a can of worms that I had to deal with. <laughs> I, said, I said, oh, man, this is, this is so different. You know, this is, I, I said, I can't believe, you know, I really had difficulties with that because of what I'd been taught previously. And so when you see that it's going to these elements. Everything was destroyed. I got a little book called The uh, Destruction of Jerusalem that goes into all of that. That shows that everything was destroyed. That the foundations were torn up. Uh, and then, then after all that was done, people would walk by and it would be as though there was never a city there at all. It was gone. Absolutely gone. And so it would be a marvel that you go to where a city used to be and there's nothing there. Nothing. And so it, it, it elements, oh man, everything, everything was burned up. Yeah. Everything in the old, in the old covenant. And I want people to understand that's what you're hitting at is he's taught when he talks about the elements, he's talking about those things that were used in the old covenant worship. That, that, that that's was exactly used. right. As he's doing, and of course we read from Josephus when the Romans came in, they they literally, not figuratively, they literally leveled Israel. They leveled the yeah. mountains. They leveled everything. And so even when you go today and you see Israel, you are not seeing ancient Israel. You're seeing no, rebuilt Israel. The hills, all that stuff, have been redone. All that all that stuff's been redone uh, mm -hmm. because that's how utter the destruction was. And look. 
God kept his word. Deuteronomy 28. We use it for application. The reality was he was speaking to those people under that covenant, and he meant what he said, and then he did what he said he would do to them. He said, as much as I rejoice to do you good, I'll rejoice to do you evil, and utterly, and see the dispensationalists don't like this either, utterly destroy you. That's exactly right. Oh. And he, and he did. Yes, he and, did. He did. And and when you Whoops. when you begin to come into the understanding of what uh, the Lord is teaching us concerning that, I've met so many people. They know nothing about Daniel chapter nine. They know nothing about the destruction of Jerusalem. They know nothing about any of these things historically. And and you you, you sit down and try to talk to them, and some of them look like you got three heads from Mars somewhere um, because of the Again, that doctrine that has still got such a stranglehold on people. No, what we see today is not the biblical Israel. It's nowhere near it. We know where it came from. We know who it was. Uh, That's we know right. how it got started. Uh, uh, I've got a book up there that's uh, by Ian Pap uh, that talked about uh, how the the current nation of Israel was formed and all the undertow things of politics and everything like that was will come into being if somebody reads that book they, they've got to understand it's a good book it's a real good book yeah he actually he's actually a jewish guy too and he, he calls out what they're doing yeah he's, he's a jewish guy we don't know whether he's a christian believer or not we don't know but i tell you what that book uh opens your eyes to what's going on around you i mean you really got if you read that and then continue to support the modern state of Israel, that, that's got to be the dumbest thing somebody would do. Yeah, I, I totally I totally agree with that. We, we've covered some of these things before. We did, uh, Jerry and I at Nicene Council did the uh, uh, little video. We, we had a weekly video called Against the World. I think I played that for you guys on the air one time, and it's on my Rumble channel. Uh, but it's dealing with, you know... Um, uh, dispensationalism and what they're setting up, you know, are they really, I hate to even use the word, but are they really anti-Semitic? I, that was, that was the, and I wrote the piece on it because I showed people what they were doing. For the dispensationalists, they think we've got to get all these Jews into Israel because that they think that's what's prophesied. Okay, it's not, but they think it's prophesied. So we got to get them in there. So we had wings on eagles. We got John Hagee pushing this stuff. We got all these yes. guys pushing it. In. But they never tell any of these people who call themselves Jews and are not. He, he, they never tell them, hey, un, in our understanding, the way we've misinterpreted the Bible, a bunch of you are going to get slaughtered, but that's okay because Jesus is coming back. And that's the, way that's, right. they, that's the way they put it. Now, I know they probably don't put it that flippant, but that is what they're doing that is what they're practicing, and that should be that should be an issue, uh, Charlie, to where people should step back and they should say, "Wait a minute, what am I holding to here that mm-hmm. I would act like that?" And you know, we're seeing people today. There are people who who hate Jewish people. There are people who hate Muslim people. There are people who hate Christians, and it's just like, "Wait a minute, all we're dealing with here is ideology." And the reason that we hate bad ideology, bad theology, is because God has told us what is good, and we want to hold that to the people, and we want to see the people uh, receive the fruits and the benefits of what God has told them will come if they'll just obey Him. But uh, but but this other, it seems like it's sort of a very fleshly desire, almost like uh, uh, the Muslim uh, teaching about getting the virgins 
uh, that it's a very fleshly thing. I go do this evil thing so that I can get, you know, this fleshly thing. And I think in some cases, some of the dispensationalism, that's what it kind of comes to. It appeals to a lot of the flesh, uh, and then it gives you flesh. It tells you, I mean, you'll hear the people, they say, all this bad stuff's coming. Oh, it's going to come. The, the worst's going to do this, and they're going to have all this stuff. Uh, but Jesus is going to get us out of here. He, he, he's not, he's not going to let us go through it, but he's going to let you people go through it. And it's, the, only, the only place you can really teach that is here in America. Yeah. And that's true. You can't, you, you can't teach anywhere else. Uh, I, had, I had an occasion to do a, a, a short-term uh, missions trip some years ago into uh, Latvia, Lithuania, and Russia. And it was, it was an experience that changed my life in many different ways. But in meeting some of the uh, pastors over there that, that were under the communist rule, uh, at that time, that's when Perestroika had come in. So it would have been in the, it would have been the mid, it would probably would have been in the mid nineties, late nineties that I was over there. Uh, that, and then meeting these pastors and them telling me what they went through, what they endured. And uh, there was one pastor in particular. He was in St. Petersburg, Russia. I had the opportunity to sit around, to sit down across the table from him for probably eight or nine hours one day. And he had scars all over him, everywhere. That were scars. And I asked him, I said, I, I, said, I said, Pastor, what? What happened? And he told me that it was very plain that they didn't want Christianity taught. They wanted to abolish Christianity. And so they got him and they they captured him in the middle of the night, put him on a train and sent him to Siberia. But he'd been in and the one reason why I had so many scars all over, because he'd been in jail over two hundred times and they beat him. Wow. And they beat him. And so finally they said, well, we got to get rid of him. So they put him on a train and sent him to Siberia. And his wife and family didn't know where he was at. He just disappeared. Well, once communism began to fall, uh, he was able to, he survived. He was able to come back to St. Petersburg. And, uh, uh, and then I was given the opportunity, the Lord allowed me the opportunity to sit across from him and talk to him at length about, about, his, about his things. We don't understand that here in this country. We we have we have we don't understand what that's like. <clears throat> We're probably going to be coming into it before long, but that's what they endured to preach the gospel to the people in those countries. And when he came back, this is a little bit humorous here. But when they came back, <clears throat> he uh, he was able to get some of his church people back together, and more began to come, and they started meeting in a in a building downtown of St. Petersburg. And uh, I went, we went to one of the services there where, where the pastor was preaching. And I come to find out that that particular building where this local church was in St. Petersburg was one of the buildings that the communists used to plot the death of Christians. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. It, 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 it blew my mind. And that's why I say that that, that, that trip just, it, 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 it changed me forever because I, I, I met pastors in Latvia, I met pastors in Lithuania, I met pastors in, in, in Russia. And it was, just, it was just something else. We don't understand that here. We, we just don't. And you can't, 
and and uh, the, the, the pastor was telling me he said uh because we were talking about different things and i said well what do you think about people who teach this <clears throat> teach this rapture he said well we had one big name evangelist come in and he began to talk about it and and he began to expound upon it and he said myself and the elders of the church just scored him off the platform yeah good good i mean i know that's what needs that's what needs to happen uh you know paul tells says that you don't uh give space for that that to come in when you know it's when you know it's wrong when you know it's false you don't give space to that in fact it, the, i think the greek actually it's more like you you tear out their tongue i don't think he meant literally to, you just don't give them a platform for it to to, to that, put it out there but they did they escorted they escorted them off they hmm. escorted them off and said you're not you're not teaching that here and and uh, i remember back in the 80s uh, when the rise in popularity of the health and wealth gospel began to come up, the Lord had already given me enough information that I that I that I was preaching and teaching against that stuff. Well, I didn't make any friends. I made some made some enemies because that was the thing. You know, this was now you got the, the health and wealth. You got you name it, claim it, you blab it and grab it, and you run with it, and you're going to be prosperous and you're going to be a multimillionaire and that kind of thing. No, no. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out why somebody would need 20 jet planes or 20 airplanes or whatever how many they've got, or or one in many cases. I, but one, one, you know, and, and, and they say, well, you know, you send you send me your money, I got to buy this 10 million dollar aircraft over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, you know, and I've I've talked a little bit about wealth. I've talked a little bit about do, using things in the kingdom, and there is a difference. I mean, we're not told that money's the root of all evil. We're told the love of it. The money. The lo- it's the it's what's in you. It's what's in you that's wicked. It's not the money issue itself. Although I got to tell you, our dollar bill is lawless. Um, yes, it is. It's it's it is it is an abomination. Okay, but but money in general is not the bad thing. It's it's the people. It's what we do with it. It's how we lust after it and everything else. But I want to read this little piece, and if it's okay, Charlie, I'd like to be able to post this in the archive, the little piece that you sent me on biblical interpretation. I think people would like to read it. It's only two and a half pages long. It's pretty short. It's to the point. But this is how you conclude it, and I want people to hear kind of your words, and then I want to give you a final word of exhortation to the people, if you would. But you're right. Uh, after you've presented the things, you said, I didn't. Uh, I assure you this was not done on my own or with my own conclusions. All were discussed at length with other brethren, which I think is, is wise. The Bible says that there's wisdom in a, count, in a multitude of, of counselors, right? I mean, there, there's wisdom there. They keep you in check so you don't go off the rails somewhere. Uh, it was discussed at length with other Bereans, uh, brethren, who examined the Scriptures as the Bereans to understand the true meaning of the Scriptures and the message they convey. None of us can get so far that we do not need the input of fellow believers. Oh, I like that. I that's like exactly that's right. why we have gifts, isn't it? That, that, that's why uh, I, I'm grateful for people like yourself and Brother Bradley and a few others that I know that are proclaiming the new covenant and telling the truth. Yeah. It, it gives me hope. Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm 75 years old. I've got way less ahead of me <laughs> than I've got behind me. And so and I look sometimes it's like the runway's getting a little bit short. <laughs> I know people like you and Brother Bradley are out there proclaiming it the way that you do. Different personalities, different emphasis, but the truth is the same. That's right. It's the same truth. It's because it's coming from the same God. We have the same Father. It's coming from the same God. And that gives me hope Amen. that it, that if the Lord calls me home, there's still somebody that's going to carry on. Amen. I'm Amen. grateful for that. 
Amen. You don't know how grateful I am for that mm. because the Lord is so faithful to do those things mm-hmm. that uh, when, when one generation is called away to him, another generation comes along That's right. and picks up the torch and runs with it. And we're going to run the race till the end. We're That's going right. to run it till it's finished, completed. Yep. That's right. And, uh, uh, Man, I, I I get so excited about things like that. <laughs> I, well, I really, I really, I get so excited about things like that. Yes, you can post that. Okay. And, yeah, I wanted I want to do that. Let me finish reading this because you know I I think about what you're saying about run the race. You know, when my father retired at seventy, uh, I don't know how long many years ago that's probably been like I don't know fifteen years ago. I don't know. It's been a long time. Um, he said, I'm going to work in a wood shop. I'm going to pre, I'm going to do some fill-in preaching, stuff like this. And he couldn't do any of that. He just, he ended up interning pastor, you know, the whole time. And I, I told him, I said, Dad, I said, you know, the Bible says this is a, it's like a race. I said, you're, I don't want to make it morbid, but I said, you're closer to the finish line now. I said, you need to sprint as much as you can, not walk, you know, to the finish line. You need to sprint. And, you know, I've seen him do that. I've seen him take up other pastorates. Uh, you know, people have called him, not just intern work, but he took up pastorate. He, he loves doing it. He loves being with the people, and he loves preaching. And that's what, I mean, that's that's what God's made him into be. But you continued this little section here, and I was saying, I really appreciated that. We need the input of fellow believers to help us on our journey as we grow in the Lord. Without the Holy Spirit as our teacher and guide, we can pick up a lot of stuff that perverts the Scriptures. Absolutely. We need dependence on him to lead and guide us into his truth and not another. Yes, we need the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. However, we need to trust the Holy Spirit to teach us and lead us into his truth. And I like that you're kind of, you're, you're making the Spirit dominant because he is the one who leads us into truth, just like Jesus said. We read that the other day from John chapter 15 and 16. And, um, but we're to trust him in that. Not that we wish to believe nor what we were taught to believe. We must examine our beliefs in the scriptures themselves with understanding and trust the Holy Spirit to unlock the truth of the Bible to us. The foundation is the apostles and prophets. What is that, guys? That's Old and New Testament. Exactly. That's what that is. That is the prophets who rolled in the Old Testament, the apostles that were with Jesus. Not, I repeat, not those that today call themselves the apostles or prophets, most teach error, and lead people astray. Now, there are some people, we, we, we usually use the term, I think, missionary for what an apostle would be. We use that. That's a person who goes out and they're, they're starting something up. We would mm-hmm. use that kind of like that. But we distinguish even that and even other apostles that are mentioned different from the, the apostles we read in the scriptures who were witnesses of the resurrection and things of that nature. But, exactly right. but what I want to do, Charlie, and I appreciate you staying over and coming on this morning. It's been a blast. I, I think the people have enjoyed what you've had to say. I'm going to give you a final word. Exhortation. Let's say, I hope it's not the last time you've been on. Maybe we'll bring you on again. Uh, we'll talk about maybe a passage scripture or something like that. But if, you, if this is your last time to speak to the audience, what would be a final word of exhortation you give them? The, the, the thing that I would encourage them in is to um, please learn how to interpret the scriptures properly. And there's, there's some good helps out there. I've seen a few. But for the most part, people are not taught within their, even within their local churches of how to study the scriptures. They're, they're taught less about how to interpret the scriptures. So uh, Tim said he's going to post this little thing that I wrote here. And this is one that I've used 
that I've given out to, to, to a number of people on how to get begin studying the scriptures properly. And so I'm grateful for that. But uh, uh, I, I would encourage you in that. This is an area that is sadly lacking within the local churches. Everywhere. And with the, with the atmosphere that we've got in churches now, I doubt, seriously, if it's taught hardly anywhere, because it's just so pathetic out there with, with most of the local churches. But again, I learned a lot of things in small groups with just a few people that we, we read and study the scriptures together, and we talk about them, and we uh, go to the uh, uh, original languages, we discuss that. I would encourage people to get some good Bible helps. Get you a good Bible, a real good one. Um, uh, personally, this is me personally now, okay? I do not like the modern translations. I've got two Bibles primarily that I use, the King James and the 1599 Geneva. Those are my two primary go-to scriptures. Yep. I've also got a Greek lexicon, uh, a Vines Expository Dictionary, a Strong's Concordance. Those few things can help you to, it takes work, yes, because you have to dig, but once you get into them and begin to interpret the scriptures according to what is uh, given in those, you can get a better, clearer understanding of what scripture is trying to teach us. Those are just simple things. There's just a few items that you need. Uh, but I like my Greek lexicon. I like that. I'm not a Greek scholar by any means and imagination, but I know enough to know how to look it up and to and to understand what that word means. I, 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 and as you grow in the Lord, there will come a time that that will become very beneficial to you. But just to start out, the strong concordance, fine expository dictionary, uh, good Bible, and just sit before the Lord. And as you read, say, Holy Spirit, teach me. This is, this is important. Holy Spirit, teach me. Amen. Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, you are the one who teaches us. You are the one who guides us and directs us. Uh, you're our number one teacher. That, that, that If we trust you, you will lead us and guide us into all truth. And I say all truth. Do all of us have all the truth? No, not in this, not, not in this body. No, but, but we're, we're going in that direction. As long as we're going in that direction and the Lord sees we're going in that direction, he will lead God and direct us, and he will help us to understand That's right. what scriptures teach us. That's Amen. right. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Charlie. You know, we had a question, uh, uh, Carol Ann. You're going to have to stay after class. <laughs> we've already covered that one. I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing. She asked about the uh, the women grinding at the meal. Um, one will be grinding, one will be taken. I'll just address that real quickly, and we'll close the show. Uh, this was out of Matthew 24. Uh, so mm -hmm. this we covered uh, a little bit of this during the Kingdom series. And guys, I, what I'll try to do is I'll try. I don't know that you can make a playlist on Rumble. I'll try to make a playlist. If I if I don't, uh, maybe. I'll just make an article and stick all the kingdom ones in there so that there's one thing when I make a reference, I can just throw the link in there and it's got all of them in there. Maybe that'll be helpful. I don't know. I should have probably did that before. But this was out of Matthew 24. This is what Carol Ann's asking about. Uh, just real quickly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but 
remember Jesus is asked about when those things are going to happen. The, the stones are going to be not one upon another. Um, <clears throat> that he's telling them when's going to be the end of the age or the end of the world, as it said there. But the age is the, the proper term that should be done, the old covenant age. Um, mm. And when's, your, when's going to be the sign of your coming? Again, remember, these guys don't even think Jesus is going to die that week. But yet, somehow, people translate into them. He's looking, they're thinking thousands of years off in the future. That's not what's going on. So no. let me just jump sort of in the middle here. Because Jesus tells them all these signs that are coming that'll show them when the end of the age is near and what's going to go. And by the way, you can read many of these signs in the book of Acts. They're in there. They're in the book of Acts, the things that Jesus talks about. They're, they're actually, many of these things are already there. So here's what he says, beginning at verse 34. All the stuff he said up at the, before the first, let's go to 33. So likewise ye, when you see the, all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Now, if you want to know what the it is, go to Luke, the parallel passage, Luke 21, and you'll know he says, know that the kingdom is at the door. <laughs> so if you want to know what the it is, you read the parallel passage. It's the same, yeah. it's the same talk. So, mm -hmm. so then he says, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So everything you read in Matthew 24 is not for our future, guys. I don't care who tells you it is. It was for their future. The ones he was speaking to, the disciples at that time. And then he says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, not, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And he was, Jesus was truthful when he was saying that at the time. But of that day, okay, so he says that. And then he says, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And what were those days? What, what depicted them? Now, I hear these guys, again, we go back to Genesis 6. Well, it, they're going to have giants, and they're gonna, angels are going to be cohabitating with women. And it, it doesn't say that. Jesus tells you what the days were like. He says, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away. Keep that in mind because that's part of the context here, Carolyn. They took it, the flood took them away. It was judgment that took them away. So shall also the son, the coming of the Son of Man be. People weren't listen. The people before the the last day of the Roman siege, before they really hammered in and nobody escaped the city. Okay, they had false prophets rising up and saying the Messiah is going to come and save us. Well, he didn't do it. Okay. He didn't do it. So then we read this. And again, remember, he's just said it's going to be like the days of Noah. There's going to be a flood. The flood came and took them all away. Then he gives this. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Now, now, does that make sense to you? He's just told you the ones taken are taken in judgment. Yes. And the other is left. Now, Jesus told his disciples, when you see the army surrounding Jerusalem, get out of the city. Flee to That's the hills. Right. And the people who did that, guess what? They lived. The, yes, other they people, the other people suffered under that siege for the time the Romans had them. And then he says, two women shall be grinding at the mill. One shall be taken. Was she taken in the rapture? No, she's taken in judgment. And That's the right. other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Uh, Carol Ann, I, I hope that's helpful um, because I think when you see those things you know, in their context, especially that part right there. Jesus tells you what the days of Noah is like. People are not going to know when the judgment's going to hit. It's kind of, you know, it's like, look, right now we're in the midst of God's judgment here in America. Yes. But should it be this 
devastating, I don't know, fire brimstone kind of thing on America, which God would be right in doing, it's going to come out of nowhere. Everybody's going to be conducting their life the way they're conducting them, and then all of a sudden it's going to hit, and there's going to be people who are taken, and there's going to be people who are left. I hope I hope that's helpful. Charlie, thank you so much again. I'm having a little trouble here with my buttons, uh, clicking on everything and the delay and all that, so I apologize, guys. It's just one of those things I'm dealing with. But, uh, Charlie, if you'll hang on, I'll say goodbye to you off air. Thank you guys for joining us. Bradley, we'll be with you at 3, and then, Lord willing, we're going to see you back here in the morning, 6 a.m., bright and early. Talk to you then.